sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. And welcome, folks, to Business Eye. Another week, another week, another week, another week of lockdown. Yes, I'm getting tired of saying another week of lockdown. I'm actually can't believe our schools are going to eventually come back uh, in about two weeks, three weeks time. And then they're on their Easter break. I wonder, will they cancel the Easter break? Because my kids are bored at home and school education, I think with most people around the country, I think my kids are going to be thick as two planks if I keep on teaching them. But look, we will get on. But yes, it's been an interesting week. And at the end of the show, myself and Simon are going to talk what we normally talk about, and that's lockdown data, our updates as well. Simon, how are you? How are you, my friend? I'm good, Joe. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's tough. It's tough right now. You know, people, I think we're in the week 10 of lockdown here and the government just announced we're, we're heading to another five or six or seven or eight or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, so I think mental health is a huge thing. And we're going to be talking about how we deal with uncertainty and how we, you know, how we manage our lives and get through from a professional and personal perspective. So I'm really looking forward to this chat with two great guests. Yeah, we've some great guests on today. And our first guest is Stephen Hunt. Stephen specializes in helping global executives who struggle with communication and internal obstacles in the use of the power of clarity to drive innovation thinking and how to build high performance culture. Stephen works in with over 26 countries worldwide with an array of executives. He specializes in manufacturing, automotive, IT, pharma, financial services and energy. Stephen, welcome to the show. It's good to see you, Stephen. And uh, our second guest is Meredith Elliott Powell. Um, uh, Meredith, I think, is on her third cup of coffee. She says, which is great, which is great because this because that'll just really liven up the chat. And uh, Meredith, Meredith and I have spoken recently, so she has a background in corporate sales and leadership. Her career expands over several industries, including banking, healthcare, finance. She is a business growth expert, uh, a wonderful motivational keynote speaker. I've seen some of your videos now, Meredith. Um, you focus on helping organizations increase profits, decrease stress um, through your work in sales, leadership, and personal responsibility. Um, you're on a mission to help professionals gain back control of their careers, their business, and their lives. So hopefully you can help the three the three men here to gain back some control today. <laughs> well, That's why I needed the third cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Simon, I was just thinking we should just let the two of them ask yeah. if we can actually take a back seat here today because the, the yeah. knowledge and the wisdom will be oozing out of both of them. But yeah, today we want to talk about uncertainty. And I think it's very important at the moment because of what's happened in the last you know, two years. A lot of businesses had to change. Some businesses have ceased to exist. And I think it's all to do with as we say, what I was saying about Stephen in the beginning, a clarity and speed of delivery. So, you know, I'll open a question up to both of you is what did you learn yourselves quickly in 20, 2020 sort of re, rechange and redevelop your business? Well, if I if I turn the clock back to this time last year when it started, I think one of the most interesting conversations was with a a guy in Dublin that I know, however <laughs> you're saying, uh, Joe and I had this conversation and I don't know whose idea it was, but I'm going to claim it as mine. Um, and it was not to jump on the bandwagon. So sit back, observe what's going on around you. I think it was actually Joe's idea. 
we were both agreeing that it's about taking the wider perspective, what's happening in the environment, uh, where are you facing uncertainty, where are you facing complexity, and those are two different things, and then moving forward from that. So the biggest thing I've learned, and that's quite abstract, but the biggest thing I've learned is to um, sit back, look at what's going on around you, take the data in, stay reality-based, and don't just jump on the latest fashion, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I can't agree more to, to really uh, remain uh, reality-based. I think uh, yeah. there's a term we use here in the U.S. called um, embrace the suck, that you don't want to be a pessimist or an optimist, but you want to be, uh, you want to be a, a realist. I think the biggest thing that I learned uh, was that if I stopped focusing on myself and my own problems and I started talking to my customers and just asking them questions, yeah. I would find my path forward. And that it was a myth that I couldn't make money in a shaken economy. And I'm in a business that blew up. I mean, before COVID, I got on planes, I traveled around the world. Everything I did was about touching physically people and boom, everything was gone. But if I could find a way to be relevant, if I could solve the current problems my customers were having, um, I could make money, I could do really well, and my business would just magically find the path forward. I, if, if I stayed trying to focus on me trying to figure out what to do, I was never going to find it. But if I would just talk to people, the ideas would start to come. Yeah, that's that's that, that's huge. They, they often say, Meredith, that the gap between the stimulus and the response, that's where sanity is. And yeah. and I think a year ago, we all had to sort of, and I did the same. Joe's been working online for years, but like you, I hadn't, right? So I had to, and a bit like what Stephen said, at the beginning of last year, I had to take a deep breath and stop and observe and then reframe, you know, and luckily it worked for me. Um but, but so, so what do you both think about that in terms of giving yourself a, an opportunity just to reframe and look back and, and repivot? How do you both do that? Maybe Stephen. First thing I do is I, I look at the situation. Or I encourage people that I work with and say, look, what are you facing? Is it uncertainty or complexity? And a, a good example that you can use that everybody can use is think of our think of a road traffic accident. Somebody's very ser- seriously injured they go to hospital. There's a lot of uncertainty for the doctors because you don't know whether the person who's seriously injured is going to live or die. Yeah, But there's no complexity. There's a well-established process, structure, systems in place. That, you know, There's a trauma specialist team. There's a, an ethetist, uh, doctors, all the rest of it, nurses. Yeah, And they all have clear roles. There's clear processes and clear structures in place. So there's High uncertainty, because you've got a seriously injured person who may live or die, but you've got low complexity. Where it gets difficult is when you get into the ream of um, high uncertainty and high complexity. For example, um, let's say you wanted to reduce drug drug abuse in a certain neighborhood. Well, that's that's a criminal issue. It's a social issue. It's an economic issue. Um, it's various issues. And unless you get interagency action, you're not going to change it. So the first thing when you're confronted with something like the pandemic is, where am I really facing complexity and, and uncertainty? And where is it just uncertainty? Because the just uncertainty pieces are quite easy to deal with. And you can delegate those. The high complexity, high uncertainty, that's where you need to focus. Oh, I think that's, I I never thought about it from that direction. That's great. Mm. 
Yeah, it, it, I think like if what happened, looking back as well, and as we strolled into, you know, the end of 2019, we sort of knew something was coming down the tracks because we were looking at China and it was like a bad storm. It was moving, you know, across Europe and then it was going to hit into the States. And what I noticed was it was there was a lot of people who were knee jerk reaction. They were panicking. Yes. They were they weren't sure of what was going on in the business in their business world, and they were going, "Oh, we need to do this, or we need to do this." And and like like Stephen said, I I sort of thought it was best just to sit back and observe and to see what was going to happen at the lay mm-hmm. of the land, because a lot of people who I noticed were out speaking or trying to you know catch this in the first maybe four or five months, we don't really hear a lot of those people anymore. Mm-hmm. They sort of have fizzled out. Because they are exhausted. They've, I, I honestly believe they've, they've sort of lost their way. But if you sort of sit back and watch and sort of go, okay, what is it now? What is the reverse engineering that I need to do? If I need to sort of move my business forward, I now know that what people are need, now I need to ask them what do they need instead of me thinking what they need and then developing or designing the program, the platform or whatever it may be for the next 12, 24 months. Mm -hmm. And I've also noticed uh, what both of you have said there as well is this is a year, I believe, is a year of education. This is a time where a lot of companies, because they've changed, they have to upskill, they have to learn new ideas. And education is massively growing. Oh, yeah, it's definitely been a um, it's you know, it's definitely been a year of education. I think one of the biggest things that we have all learned is just how fast we can change. You know, change was this word where we had to bring gurus and experts into our organizations and we had to do all this mindset work. But I think the big thing we learned was, boy, when we're pushed to the wall, we can change like that. I think where the education and the trainings what I see happening in 2021 is that a lot of the things that we were forced to change and educate and train our teams, they're going to stay here going forward. And those organizations that invested in education, invested in training early on, they're far ahead. I'm getting calls now to help teams be um, be virtual. And while I'm happy to do it, I think, boy, you're behind the eight ball. You should have been back here in June. 2020 was a year where you could make a few mistakes, sort of, you know, blip through doing it, but you better be good at what the changes in the marketplace call for now. And I think investing in training is going to be incredibly important. I think it goes back to what Meredith said uh, a few minutes ago. I think it's forced a lot of people to stop thinking internally, stop thinking about themselves if they're a one-man band or looking at internal processes and start looking outside, speaking to customers as Meredith says, and designing around what people really need and want instead yeah. of what's good to us internally. You raised a good point, Meredith. I mean, I, you know, I'm trained in business process improvement, change management, but, you, but what you said was, was very true that, you know, we, we've all had to just pivot like that. You know, we went to bed, <laughs> we went to bed in 2019 and we've woken up in 2030, effectively, That's you know. Right. And, I'm still and asleep. So, yeah. So, so does this mean that all the armies of business process improvers and re-engineers and change agents, to an extent, they're going to be left behind because businesses will just have to just do this as part of their DNA? Or will there just be an acceleration in thinking around this? How do you see this panning out, Meredith? Um, I think that uh, that 
those of us who help people with change and help organizations navigate that, we need to up our game. And what I think that we we know is that the speed of change, I think about like systems and processes. I'm a master certified strategic planner. I have to get continuing education every year in that. And when I first started doing it, um, we would update a strategic plan every five years. Now, my uh, my certification, which I'm going through again right now, they're like, you need to build that plan so that so that your companies are looking at it every two to three months. I really want my companies to look at it every 30 days and say, is this really relevant? I've got tools built in that help them be, you know, like Stephen said, more externally focused. So I think I think that companies are going to be challenged with keeping up with the speed of change. I think those uh, consultants or experts that don't move their um, processes and systems to be um, faster and help companies be more agile are going to be left behind. But I think there's more call for um, people to help with agility and speed than there's ever been. I think a lot of people are, we find now that we're resilient. You know, the human (laughs) race is very, very resilient. We can, one of the things you hear, and I I disagree, people saying the new normal, I, I, I don't buy that because you know, World War Two, we were probably saying the new normal and, you know, after the Spanish flu, people have gone to new normal and all these crises that happened right through, you know, all the different centuries. We, we've basically pivoted back to who we are, human connection, the, the powers of, you know, who we are and what we're about and our communities and our businesses. There's one element in it. Are the staff fearful of COVID? Are they fearful of lockdown? Are they terrified to be farther than you know one meter away from people these are sort of things which i think is this stepping stone that we have to sort of look at when we are putting these strategic plans into place for companies as well i think that one of the things when you work with companies is you have to realize people are all over the place um, some people want to come back to work. They want to be in the office. They want to be connected. They want to run their businesses as usual. And they're dealing with staff that are terrified that don't want to come in. I mean, the new rules of how you even handle human resources, like I'm working with a company right now, and they've got employees that want to work from home, those that want to be in the office, those that, you know, quote unquote, are high sensitive to um, to COVID. They have young couples that if they spend another day at home with their children, they're going to kill themselves. So they want to be back in the office. And you know, how do you how do you manage all of that? And then one of the biggest things I'm hearing, and I don't know if you are Stephen, but it's this how do you keep culture and how do you keep connectivity and how do you really hold on to people, retain them that talent long term when the fact that we don't ever interact with each other, we don't ever physically see one another. A lot of the norms that we had are gone and we're going to need to reinvent what that looks like. That's a great point. It's mad when you think about it. You know, we've never been more connected yet, never been more disconnected. (laughs) And yet, you know, we're going through probably the worst period in the history of the world since World War II in terms of, you know, what's going on. And yet this week we're sitting in our armchairs watching a human made video on another planet, Mars. Right. Isn't that kind of symbolic of are we moving too fast in some respects and not fast enough in others or or is it just that this the is just this the chaos the uncertainty of humankind and and how do companies keep up with this stuff maybe i've gone off in a few tangents there but stephen how do companies navigate the inevitable uncertainty and the fact that it can just change like that how how do you think they're going to do or leaders how do you think are they primed to do this or are they just all going to do operate on through expedient reaction what what do you think i think that the 
the way people plan is changing. So I, I would say it's like this. It, if you were to sail across the Pacific on your own, you plan, you chart a course, but the, the chart, the navigation chart is not the, the territory. It's not the sea. It's not the Pacific Ocean. You know, you have the place where you're aiming for, but you don't plan for every current and every storm or even every wave. Yeah, you just trust, and this is the point that I'll come back to. You trust, you have confidence in your in yourself, and confidence obviously comes from trust, they're connected together. You have confidence in yourself that you have the skills and the capability to navigate through it. And I think the planning, I mean, you're the professional planners, but I think the planning is you have an end goal, a North Star, a, a destination, or a port you want to reach. You have that point. And you know the next few steps. But this notion, one of the things I see a lot in businesses that I'm working with is, uh, maybe because I'm in Germany, I don't know, but a, a lot of this trying to plan out, for example, all 10 steps in a 10-step yeah. process is too slow. You need to plan out steps one to three, know where uh, the end goal is, step 10, and be spontaneous and react and be flexible as you yeah. move along and that's yeah. how planning is going to happen and it's based that's on trust do i trust my team do i trust uh, my managers managers below me do i trust them to execute given that we only have the next three steps that's where people are going to have to work it's, yeah, together it's, it's, better it's not it's navigating right through and we are we are all living in the pods and you know i think in in the last century it was all about micromanagement and you know we yeah. were trying to eliminate it and and now it's the element of trust it's okay we've got the steps you're right one two and three how can we execute these 100 percent before we step onto fourth i i still wonder are there managers ceos suite executives out there who are still drowning or still lost in COVID world? Or are we seeing them say goodbye and new leaders are approaching? I think it's probably, um, I think it's probably a combination. We just did a research report in our company on the state of um, uncertainty on business today. We interviewed over a thousand CEOs. And most boomers, most um, of those, you know, uh, 58 plus, were actually comfortable and ready to move on. Um, the older millennials, those under the age of, um, of 58, um, really running from about 45 to 58, were incredibly uncomfortable in this environment, really reported that they felt unprepared to lead it. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. Those of us who, you know, are well into the boomer era, we've been here before. We went through 2008. We've blown up plenty of times. We remember interest rates in the U.S. being 20 percent. I mean, you know, we've been here before. We've had energy crises and things. The other is boomers have held on to the reins too tightly and they've not really trained that next generation. Yeah. They've not let them go because they feared that something would happen to um, you know, to the company, and now you've got a generation that's in their you know late forties, early fifties. They've got kids, they've got mortgages, they need these jobs, and they don't have the skills to really navigate an uncertain marketplace. And kind of back to our education point, the companies that recognize that that they are going to lose a generation of leaders that are comfortable in uncertainty are getting ready to move a group in that isn't. And Joe, that's your point. That's where the people who have their head 
in the sand, who aren't really leading in an uncertain environment because they're trapped in fear. Fear can be your biggest enemy right now. And that's the group we've got to get in there. Um, that's a group we've got to get in there and help. Hmm. Meredith, when you you said about the baby boomers not letting go, I, th- I think that's fascinating. Yeah. What, what stopped them? I'm curious. What stopped them from letting go? It's um, It's 2008. Uh, most of them were ready to retire in 2008. Mm-hmm. They were reaching the age where they could kind of let go. And we had just come off the hottest economy. So you didn't yeah. even have to show up to work and your company grew. And then the bottom fell out of pretty much every industry. And these boomers saw their retirements on the line. So they came in and they held tightly to their reins. The perfect storm of that is every employee just put their head down because they didn't want to get fired, mostly middle management. So you didn't say, I need trained, or you weren't going to admit you didn't know what you wanted to do. And it just created, yeah, it just created this perfect storm that we didn't even start to come out of until about 2018. You know, and um, and then boom, COVID hit, and it was you know, to COVID makes two thousand eight look like it's nothing, yeah. and you've just got it. You've just got a group of people that are going to have to lead. That really, we have we have never been we have never trained a group of people less to take over in probably one of the most challenging times. On on, on that point, right? If you were gonna, if you both, and I'll ask you both, if you were both going to get hold of a you know a fledgling new leader, right? What skills or attributes would you want them to have to be a good leader through uncertain times? What, Stephen, what, what, what are the attributes of a good leader? Bear in mind that every day is change. What do you yeah. think? Awareness. Um, open to new ideas, open to new data. Um, yes, we've all got our positions. You know, um, I've got my position position on Brexit, for example. <laughs> we won't go into that. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you were talking that actually, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> the trick is not to get fixed on that position. To be open to new data yeah. and information as it comes on, and adapt rapidly. But you can only do that if you're aware of what's going on mentally. You know, your own thinking processes, uh, emotionally, physically. And even, you know, intuition. So if you take it out of a crisis very quickly, if you look at somebody like Steve Jobs, you know, I think he's overquoted, but I am going to use him as the, as the example. Um, if you look at how he came up with all of those fantastic products, you know, uh, iMacs, iPods, iPhones, he didn't do loads of planning. He relied on his intuition. And... Why, what does he mean? He said, yeah, I rely on my intuition. But what he means is he's opening himself up to all the different data that's coming in and what's possible with the technology that they have at the time. And so I think awareness is what they've got, you've got to put first and last. Awareness is everything. Meredith. I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. if you have the foundation of awareness on top of that, you've got to be a really good listener to your employees and to your um, your customers, because that's where your answers and that's where your ideas are going to come from. You've got to be a powerful um, communicator. I'm looking for somebody who is both strategic and a good um, a good critical thinking thinker and um, and somebody who is confident, so confident that every idea does not have to be theirs because really your job now is to kind of harness the best and the brightest around you and to get them to engage um, 
uh, fully. So I'm looking for the communicators. I'm looking for the listeners. I'm looking for, um, I think Stephen makes a great point. Do they have a good intuition, a good gut feel and the courage to act um, the act on that? If you can get those basics, you can give them the skills on top of yeah. that. I would say two things, empathy and decision-making. Because when you focus on empathy, you're relating to everyone within your organization. That's communication, listening, mm. and and decision-making, teaching people to make the right decisions. And if you have those two skills yourself, you're leaping into state of above and beyond what a lot of people are actually even doing on a day-to-day basis. Take a yeah. quick break, folks, and we'll be right back. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. And welcome back, folks, to Business Eye. Before the break, uh, something just popped up there about, you know, the gif- different generations, which actually scared me a little. And when you were talking about baby boomers and we're talking about control, and I sort of I wrote it down, our leaders, our political leaders around the world, if we are seeing this trend in organisations and in the corporate world, are we seeing this in the political world as well? And if we are, it's quite frightening. It really is quite frightening. So I've said this to Simon many times um, that I think, believe this year will be the year of disclosure. I think last year we all, it shook us all up. You know, we, we looked at all the different systems, you know, education, financial, political. And this year, I think people now are kind of going, are the people that we have in charge within our organizations or in all these different systems, are they the ones doing the right job? Do you, do you think that the moving on for, you know, for the next six months of 2021, as things start to open up as well, do both of you feel that we are going to stay on this plateau or things going to change gradually or rapidly within the next couple of months? Merited, I'll open up that up to the States. Yeah. So here in the U.S., um, wow, do I think we have the right leaders in place? Um, you don't have a show long enough for me to tell you why I think, <laughs> why, why I, um, why I think we don't. What I fear is that we're losing in the younger um, generation is just the is is the is the understanding of what it really make, what it really takes to lead a country and for a country to be healthy um, uh, and strong. And I don't think that we're transferring um, those skills. I do believe that our leaders in power right now understand what it takes, but they're not acting in that way. I mean, when we don't put our economy first, I mean, I don't care where you go in the world, spend a lot of time in third world countries. And what you realize is that until people have a job, they don't care about the environment. They don't care about healthcare. They don't care about anything until they can feed their families and pay their bills. And I do worry that we get so distracted and uh, with other issues that we don't face on the one fundamental issue that will fix everything. And that is the economy. And I don't think that our younger generations understand that, at least here in the U.S. Well, I'm glad married this said that because uh, yeah because now i'm out i'm hung out to dry (laughs) (laughs) no because when joe stopped speaking i'm thinking well british and you're talking about political leadership and uh you know i don't know what to say to that yeah there's not much you can say about (laughs) Um, i think there's a lack of statement statementship i think there's a lot lack of people in political power or not enough there are some there's not enough people in political power at the top who are looking long-term. 
you know, mm-hmm. really what we need. So yeah, hearing, I think it's short term. Yeah. Here in Europe, um, you know, it's got to be getting the EU more functional. You know, it's way too slow taking decisions. It's not flexible enough. Um, it is about pushing through um, green, green e- economy, you know, and driving that forward. But that's interesting. You mentioned uh, you. Neither of you mentioned China or the East, right? And I've done well. I'm married. If you, you've traveled a bit, mm-hmm. and I lived in Australia for ten years, and I've worked in China mm-hmm. a lot. And I mean, three, four of the top ten, five of the top ten banks in the world, brand value wise, are Chinese. Three of the top ten techs are Chinese. I mean, the Chinese have. Pla- I used to work in the resources industry. They bought the iron ore and the coal twenty five. Yeah. They bought it twenty five years ahead, right? They plan. 20, 30 years. How do you see this playing out on a global level? I mean, it, from, from knowledge management, from a corporate perspective, I'm not talking, you know, you know, geopolitically or military, I'm talking corporate-wise. How do you say, do you see a knowledge flow going from the West to the East, or do you see globalization mark two, more interaction? Maybe Stephen, start with you. How do you see the, the more emboldened East interacting with the West and vice versa? I have family in China and Hong Kong. So I do know quite a bit of what's going on there. I think they will go their own way. So I think you're going to need to have a multifaceted approach. Uh, The notion that a lot of businesses have held since the 1990s in particular, that China will slowly adopt the Western ways, and I'm thinking mainly there, uh, Europe and and America, led by America, that's not going to happen. They've got their own way of doing things. And so you need a multifaceted approach. On terms of knowledge, I think knowledge is already there. I don't think it's necessarily going to drift. There's plenty of knowledge workers and skilled people here as well. I think they're all around the world. So I think it's not about geographical positioning. It's about the type of people that you're developing. I think that's important. So education comes in there very much. Are we developing the right people we need for a digital economy? And I think... And the last thing I would say to that is with with the corporate side, I think it's just being careful about um, things like your supply chain processes and where you're putting your intellectual property. Those are things that are on the table, definitely. Spot, no, spot on. Meredith, what are you, what's your sense and your intuition around this? Um, I was working quite a bit in um, in Asia before, uh, before COVID um, hit. And I I'm going to go back to what, Stephen said with statementship, at least here in the U.S., I would like to see corporate executives execute some type of morality around um, around their relationships with China. I understand they want to get into those markets, and and you know there's a there's a lot to be sold and a lot of profit, um, but you trade a lot out. Um, with that, I mean, China doesn't treat their people um, well. They're a, um, you know, an environmental, you know, disaster. And I fear, at least here in the U.S., with our new administration and their relationship um, with China, that we're going to not be as aware as we need to be. I think we need to have a relationship with China. I agree with Stephen 100%. China's going its own way. Whoever thinks that they're going, we're going to influence China is crazy. We need to have a relationship with them and a connection with them. But at the same time, we need to put our values and our morals ahead of business growth. That's my opinion. I would have to agree with you 100%. (laughs) I have a real issue with China, and it's because of their human rights record. 
um, what they're doing to the citizens and especially within the digital age where they're even looking at, you know, you're awarded on your credit history for being a good citizen. And then there's the, a lot of the other issues as well. So I think a lot of companies want to get into bed out of greed into China because of cost element. But I don't think that they are actually looking at what's going on. And if we were to make this a more safer, better world to live on, what do you do? You vote with your feet. And I think that if the world, the Western world turned their back in China and said, look, we're just going to hold off here at the moment until you, we see some better human rights records coming from your country. Now, there's the other argument you could say is, you know, when trade doesn't cross borders, missiles do and armies do. But I think that if we just turn and said, look, you know, you need to change your way. I'm, I'm very strong about the whole the whole Chinese um, communist um, culture. It frightens me for people over there. So that's my opinion on it. You're not wrong, Joe. And, uh, you know, I think we've all got lots and lots of things to learn from each other. You know, I don't think there's any country really that's got too much right really over the last year or so. And, you know, just maybe just to pivot a bit, um, I might start with you, Meredith. I mean, what, what two or three ingredients, you know, I'm talking about companies now, right? Companies are struggling because on the one hand, A, they have to manage costs and efficiencies, it's tight. B, they have to, um, they have to you know, carry on telling the world a story through communications and C, they have to project forward five years. That's really hard to do that when they don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. So if you were going to choose two or three magic ingredients that are to, to give to a company and for the to give a company the most confidence that they are choosing the right expedient path, what two or three things would you say to leadership in com- companies to give them the best chance of just keeping on a narrow path? You know. Yeah, that's a that's a great um, that's a great question. I'm going to go back to um, something that Stephen said, and that you have to have a goal. Um, I call it a relentless vision. Is that you have to have a very clear picture of where you're headed in the next couple of years and what that's going to look like. There's a great story about um, you know going on a whitewater rafting trip, and if you go on a whitewater rafting trip, they'll make you aware of the rocks and the high water, but they'll keep pointing to where the raft needs to go. And the reason they do that is because it's like a magnet. If you focus on where you need to go, somehow miraculously, you wind up there. So you, I would say begin with that, that you have to have a mm. clear vision. And I say relentless because you have to talk about it all the time. Yeah. The second piece of that is I call it conditioning yourself for change, is that you have to understand that the majority of things that can impact you are external to your organization. And in my company, with my clients, we use a tool called a skeptic, where every 30 days we ask them to get their team together and just brainstorm around the words society, competition, economics, politics, technology, industry, and customers. And simply by talking about that, a couple of things happen. You start to see the changes coming, but you talk about it so much that you get in shape, you get comfortable with it, and you're making change constantly, incrementally, and you're in shape for change. The last thing I would say is that you have to be relevant. You have to understand that what you sold in January won't be what you sold in June, won't be what you sell in um, December of the year. Every quarter, you need to be talking to customers and asking them what's going on in your business, what problems are you facing, and use that language 
to make sure your market position is as relevant. It's the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix, right? Um, Blockbuster focused internally and they went out of business. Netflix has morphed a million times since they became a company because they're a step ahead and they're relevant in the marketplace. So it would be vision, it'd be conditioning yourself for change and it'd be relevancy. Perfect. And Stephen, what do you what do you think? I, I would absolutely agree with all three of those. I think that's absolutely the case. Perhaps at a more operational level, you know. So I think what you've said there strategically is spot on. Maybe one thing I would add at a slightly lower priority or operational level is that I think it's going to avoid force people to think about value. You know, so we have this big discussion about um, offices, remote working. You know, it's going where it should be going, in my opinion. And I've been talking about this for 15 years. I don't know who's been listening, but I've been talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> it's not about it's not about the time you put into work. It's the value you create. And that hasn't got through into the culture of most companies. That's a sort of abstract point. Yeah. So, you know, what value do I add to my customers in this service interaction now. I I agree. And the other operational side that I would talk about, and I keep banging on about it in the work I do, is, I mean, you're spot on strategically, Meredith, from a human level, how do organizations really, and I mean really, it's not just lip service, ensure cohesive and inclusive growth, right? When we're all scattered around the world, when we come from different cultures, as you said, from different genders, when some people have more knowledge than others, how do you ensure there's cohesive and inclusive growth? Maybe that's another conversation, but um, I, I think there's lots of levels. It's very simple. Who, who are you in it for? You say to the executive, who are you in it for? You know, are you in it for your bonus, for yourself, for the fast car, for the country club? Or are you in it for something bigger than that? You yeah. know, growing the company yeah, and leaving I, a I, legacy. I think it's ask, ask. And a lot of leaders now and a lot of decision makers need to really sit down before they move forward. Forget about what's in it for me, myself and I, but what is in it for the organization itself. And when you look at that, what's in it for the organization and every decision that you make is made from from there, the company will move forward. We're just coming to the end. So I'm going to just fire something out to the three of you. What do you, in your opinion will be big coming into the end of 2021. We are in 2021 and we have lost the date. <laughs> <laughs> are we still here? What do you think will be the big thing with what's happened over the last year and a half? And you're not, let's say, revolution and burn down our government. But that's a possibility. <laughs> that's a good question. It, um, I'll be totally honest. I, I struggle with, with that. There's lots of things that come to mind. I think the the thing that should be biggest, I'm going to say should be biggest, is um, ability to go with the vision, look longer term, but but take the action now. I think that should be the big thing. What will be the big thing? I think people will be arguing about vaccination and whether they got it faster than their neighbour. Um, I 
think that we're, I think in 2021, we're going to have a big boomerang. And what I mean by that is the fact that I think once the, like they're calling for um, July 4th here in the U.S. to be truly Independence Day. It's the day that we get to take our masks off. We all get to come out of our houses and we all get to get back together. And I think you're going to see us all jump on cruises. I think you're going to see us go to conventions. I think you're going to see us hug each other. And then by December, we're going to be like, I was really home and happy in my house, not having to engage with people. So I think we're (laughs) going to, I think what's going to be big in 2021 is that eventually I do believe this year, the veil will lift and we'll have some type of, um, of socialization coming back together. But I think immediately we're going to boomerang back from that. And we're just going to realize how much of this COVID is going to um, be a new lifestyle. You're not going to see us get on planes like we used to, you know, um, do meetings like we used to, a, a lot of things. So I think it's going to be the year of the boomerang. Yeah, I would I would agree. The only thing I would add in the middle, I think before the boomerang, I think we'll enjoy big, slow, tasty meals in restaurants with a big with a big with a big smile on our face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I believe what will 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 come from this is connection. You know, mm. under appreciating and understand what real human quality community connection is. A year and a half that that shook the world, and I think the world is ready to sort of look at it in a way. Going, you know, stuff that I took for granted, I need to now appreciate. I need to appreciate it. Add one thing that I'd be curious if you, how you all felt about it is I do wonder if this is going to be the year where citizens push back. I feel like um, I feel like here in the U.S. and unfortunately I'm not in Asia and I'm not in Europe right now because I can't go there. I'm stuck with what I hear on the television. But people on both sides are getting really tired of what they feel put upon and a government that doesn't understand them. And um, and I feel that even from people who voted for the new administration versus the don't. And I do wonder if we're going back to a time where there will be real grassroots um, uh, change and and a true feeling that somehow we have people governing us who don't understand what our world is like at all. No, no, just let them eat cake. (laughs) Meredith, it's already happening in Europe. You've seen what's happened in the Netherlands and and, and here in Ireland just yesterday, you know, you're you're now having small business owners open their business in defiance of the law and risk getting arrested because what else can they do? They either get arrested or they lose their business. So it started. Yeah, it started. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And I see it as well. There's a lot happening in grassroots communities around the country. And all it is, is those grassroots putting pressure on the councils and on the political leaders. This is happening. There's, there is a big change. There is because we've sort of realized that there's decisions being made that's only affecting those people in their surroundings. They don't realize that there's other things. Like I got a call yesterday, someone who they've no food on their table. They, they've no food there. Um, and there's there's domestic violence in the household at the moment. I found out this morning that there's two companies that I know that won't reopen again. This is just in a matter of 24 hours. Now, there's a list of this that's happening and there, there will be a revolt. There, there, people will be gone. Look, look at the data. So, Stephen, I said this to you a long time ago. 
um, when this was coming in. I said, look at the data, look at the data. Don't forget what people are saying, but just look at the data and then draw your analysis of it. And people are looking at that and they see that there's spin doctors. There's there's political spin on, on control. And that's what it is, because once you give someone control, it's very hard to take that back off them. Very hard yeah. to do. Myself and Simon, now we're going to uh, get our, our pitchforks out now. And, <laughs> there you uh, go. This is where it starts. <laughs> on, on, on the second half. I would like to thank both of you for coming on. If someone wants to reach out to you, where, what, what's your website addresses or your LinkedIn profile so people can connect? You can connect with me at stephenhunt.net. So it's Stephen with a V. Um, and that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Great. I, I wrote that down because I'm going to connect with Steven. Um, and you can <laughs> you can find me at uh, valuespeaker.com, just the words valuespeaker.com. And uh, I tend to live more on LinkedIn than any other social uh, profile. So you can definitely see me um, following Simon there. Yes. Well, I, I got suspended for Twitter for a show, that we, a show that we did on censorship and I put it up on Twitter and and you Twitter got censored. censored yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. for what reason what, for the did sh- they send a reason no they wanted to just stop me I, it was after I put the show up on Twitter um, on censorship they censored me so and it's, and it's and it's funny you know LinkedIn went down for about an hour was it yesterday or the day before and I mean the whole world went and, and I thought my whole world had collapsed Meredith because <laughs> everything I do is on LinkedIn so it just shows we have to be very careful about what we rely on you yeah, know but we have the airwaves Simon we have the airwaves we that's, do that's we do we've, we've won beyond <laughs> that that's it on some fishing trawler near the Isle of Man <laughs> 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 you've given the game away Stephen given the game away yes folks thanks for coming on the show thank you thank Thank you you. thank you thanks sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office you're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM and welcome back folks to part two of Business Eye some interesting topics to ponder on there what's your thoughts Oh yeah, I mean, we we could have we did talk for hours uh, before and after, and yeah, I mean, it, the whole area of uncertainty uh, and how that impacts business, and then we got in a little bit into politics, and how this all this whole period is affecting countries. And I'm going to get angry in this part of the conversation, Joe. So let's. So you need to calm me down. Calm you down. Well, <laughs> look, I think what's what's happening at the moment. You know, as we say, we always talk about lockdown update at this very at the part of the show. And I'm speaking to people on the ground. We're we're the ones that are, you know are in business and we're we're finding out you know what people are really thinking. And I'm getting the feeling that people have had enough. And I'm getting the feeling yeah. that people feel that the government has disconnected from reality. Why yeah. am I saying that? You know, look at look at the data of where we are. I think we're one or two of the top. Lock, with, what, a, with the most lockdown in yeah. the EU, 170 days in the last 300 days, with a third most lockdown in the world, and you can hear the anger in my voice. And then there's a clip going around on the internet, Joe, with um, you know the, the two main party leaders smiling, and I would say kind of in a kind of a joyful, jolly way on the podium the other day. And people are losing their lives, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their hope, and that to me is indicative of the disconnect and and I don't mind saying it because I didn't I wasn't there right they were doing that and and I think the people are seeing this you know what what do we know so far I've already heard in the last couple of days of businesses that have closed and won't reopen I've yeah. heard of families who can't put food on food 
food on the table. I've heard of people who the domestic violence. Like, look at the hairdressers. We talk about the barbers, but they've had no, they had no COVID cases at all. And now they're still locked down. The primary schools are going to reopen. But one thing which is, doesn't get me, the, the primary school where my daughter is, there's only 100 students in that school, in a primary school. Why don't they kind of go, OK, let's look. We're going to open up the schools. We understand we're going to open them up gradually. But let's go. Any school that is under 100, they can go on straight away. Any schools that are 100 to 500, they do this. And 500 to 1,000 students go this way. There's no logical thinking. They're just a, a blanket for everybody around around the country. And put it put it this way, you know, there are businesses now opening up out of desperation, open yeah. up or, yeah. or close, and yet at the same week, politicians didn't they vote themselves a pay rise? Yeah, that's yeah. the reality we're in, Joe. There, there's a woman. She was on in the paper there. She opened up her hairdressers in Balbriggan yeah. there the other day, and something like. Six or seven policemen called around to to shut her down. There's these small things yeah. that that don't make sense. They really no. don't make sense. On and and on a global scale, it's funny today. Um, you know, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is opening the the second soft power conferences online. Um, uh, you know, so you know, countries are looked at from their soft power perspective, how they treat their citizens, how they're perceived around the world, what's the reputation. And no surprise, America has dropped five places from number one down to number six. Germany is the world's number one soft power. Ireland, where we live, has also slumped five places. And the main reasons are, A, there are other countries coming into it, but the two main reasons, Brexit, the biggest reason by far is Ireland's, and they use the word mediocre um, management of COVID. And uh, and the world is seeing this. I don't know whether the politicians here are, are really taking this on board, John. It is <laughs> shocking. It's, it's shocking. I, yeah. <laughs> it beggars, like, it's hard. It, words escape us, you know. We, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks about the mental health and we've talked about all the different elements of it. But no one's listening. No one's listening. No. And I think the citizens of Ireland are really had enough. This is mad, right? I just jumped on to our uh, our local council board today. Um, in my research, there has been no council meeting this year so far. There was multiple council meetings last year in the Dunleary Ratdown County Council. But this year so far, and we are coming into the end of February, mm. there has been no council meeting to discuss what's going on in, in the area. I don't hear any of our local TDs, you know, rep who are representing the citizens of each of the areas. I don't hear them and they're not even putting any questions that are asking for answers to what we, the citizens, want to hear. Yeah, no, honestly, for the first time in my 53 years on this planet, I'm starting to question what's going on, you know? And and I always saw myself as mainstream. But And, and the bigger question is when all this passes over, people aren't going to regret, they're not going to forget the leaders of this country smiling and laughing the day they announce another lockdown. They're not going to forget people being put into prison. They're not going to forget, you know, women who can't have their cervical smears. They're, they're just not going to, and nor should they forget this stuff, Joe. I'm angry. I'm angry. People that can't, you know, check out to see if they have heart conditions, all this other stuff that's that's bubbling too. And yeah, they have to they have to change it, or they're you know there's going to be. They're in trouble. I hate to say it, they are in trouble. Yeah, they are. Yeah. they are on it. Yeah, they're on it. Anyway, anyway, my friend, another week, another great week. Um, 
I would, ten, ten, ten months to Christmas, John. Ten, ten, ten months to Christmas. But I, I think I, I'm looking forward to the coffee shops opening. I'm looking forward uh, to everything to opening up and us getting back to normal. Me normal too. Normal. Yeah, restaurant meal and go to the cinema, coffee shops. Can't yeah, wait. Well, I can't wait. Never into the cinemas. Uh, the, the person beside you eating sweets. <laughs> like me the popcorn, yeah. <laughs> Until next week, folks, um, myself and Simon would like to say a big thank you. I'd also want to say thank you to Patrick, our researcher, and our engineers as well, and our station manager, everyone that puts this show together, um, from myself and from you, Simon, as well. Look, it's... Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you you very much. Thanks. Dream.